0: Good morning, everyone. My name's Louise. I normally attend the 10 o'clock service. Uh, Today I am reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Follow the ways of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anybody know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the Church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer say Amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church. I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue brothers and sisters stop thinking like children in regard to evil be infants but in your thinking be adults in the Lord, it is written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners i will speak to this people but even then they will not listen to me says the lord tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: It's uh, nice to be able to talk to you like this, and uh, I hope that you are having an all right day wherever you are at. Uh, The hair situation for me is getting to a fairly dire point. Uh, Today I have hair gel in my hair for the first time in living memory, so we've definitely turned a corner. Uh, Please pray for me. Uh, It's not good. Uh, Today is, of course, Father's Day as well. Happy day for many, but a bittersweet day for many as well. It's a hard day for those whose dads are missed, or who had disappointing dads, or for those who longed to be dads, but it just hasn't happened. My take on a day like today is that there is still something nice, even with all the hardness, in uh, getting to remember and honour the different fathers in our life. Uh, And I mean fathers, plural, because the reality is that, yes, biologically speaking, uh, you are the result of one father, and we try not to think about that too much, but, but in reality, there are lots of different people, lots of different men, who have invested in each one of us to make us who we are today. Uh, There are heaps of different fathers in your life, if you stop and think about it. Uh, You probably owe many of them a bit of a text today to say, thanks, I love you, you're great. Uh, Fact is, it takes a team of people working on any one of us to make us mature. It takes a team of people working on any one of us to make us strong. There are dozens of people in your life who have cared for you, and worried about you, and prayed for you, and nurtured you, and taught you, and encouraged you. Who you are today is so much due to what they have done for you in the past. And as luck would have it, the passage of the Bible that it has happened to be up to today gets us thinking about exactly that, exactly about how this idea of many people coming together to form somebody works out in practice. For us as Christians, we get to be involved in seeing each other grow in the Lord Jesus. We have a role to play in each other's lives in seeing people get to know Jesus and be strengthened in Him. Uh, Louise just read the passage for us, hopefully you've got it open in front of you. It seems on the surface like it's talking about kind of weird spiritual gifts, tongues and prophecy and all this kind of kooky stuff. I guess it is about that a little bit, but, but it's actually way more about this question of churches and Christians and what we should be doing with our time and our energy. It's about how we should want to make sure that our Sunday services... And our whole church life and our individual serving is helping lost people get saved and saved people get strengthened. That's what we want to be on about. We want to be on about lost people getting saved and saved people getting strengthened. We have, of course, had a few weeks with the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians thinking about the topic of serving Week 1, a few weeks back now, the start of chapter 12, it brought up the fact that the Spirit is active in each one of us. You know, the Spirit is equipping us to play a role in God's work in His Kingdom. God knows us, He knows He wants us to do stuff, He gets us ready for it. The Spirit is alive and at work in you. Week two, the rest of chapter 12 was about the the idea of the body, the church is a body, each part is different but they all complement each other, aka, don't get frustrated if the rest of church is different to you and thinks different to you and has different skills to you, that's exactly how God wanted it. God made us deliberately diverse so that we could help each other and depend on each other and and build each other up. Last week, chapter 13, we got to think about the kind of 11 secret herbs and spices, as Mark Hawkins put it, of our serving, that it's love that makes all the difference, that if we're not serving out of love for another person, then we're wasting our time, we're wasting their time, that, that making a difference for all eternity isn't necessarily about having special skills, but it's about having special love for a person. This is all the stuff that we've seen so far, we need to trust that God will equip us, we need to trust that God has put us together deliberately as a body, We need to trust that God will take us and use us, even if we don't have great skills, but we do have great love. Lots we've seen so far, and it gets us all in this kind of really healthy headspace for thinking about our serving. And today, as Paul keeps on writing, it's about kind of taking all these different pieces and putting them together, putting some flesh on the bones, seeing how they kind of work out in practice. Today, Paul takes us to an ancient church service. He spent some time describing what happened in the ancient church in Corinth when they gathered. Uh, Too easily, church becomes about my needs. And too easily, church becomes about me doing what I want to do. But as Paul reflects on Corinth, and as he reflects on all of churches, really, he says very clearly, take a different approach. Take the approach where you prioritize seeing people get saved. Where you prioritize seeing people get strengthened. For well, us in our church, that needs to be an unashamed priority. We want to help lost people get saved and save people get strengthened. Now, that's Paul's big message for us today and he, and he does it, he brings that up by talking about two gifts. Uh, two gifts, tongues and prophecy. And he kind of says, like in those ads for superannuation, compare the pair, right? So, let me talk about these two gifts for a minute. Tongues, and he's not talking about the things inside your mouth, useful though they are. But he's talking about the spiritual gift of tongues. And from what we read here, this is a gift where a person speaks in words, prays in words, even sings in words, that don't make any real sense to anybody else except for God. That means that it's different then to the the gift of tongues that comes up in the early chapters of Acts. If you know the early chapters of Acts, there the different believers start speaking in different languages, but there it's so that they can speak these other languages and all the people from all the gathered nations who've come to Jerusalem can hear the gospel. It's a language that can be understood, but it's different here. Here we see, verse 2, that it's about kind of speaking weird stuff that no one else can understand. And, and it seems, verse 14, to be, to be somehow kind of connected to our spiritual side, it's, it's our spirit speaking at this point. I'll be honest with you, cards on the table, I don't completely know what to make of all of this, I've never ex- personally experienced this gift of speaking in tongues, I've seen videos of people doing it on YouTube, my, my, my lovely grandmother uh, told me before she died that she used to sometimes speak in tongues... It's a little bit of a weird one, because this here, chapter 14 to 1 Corinthians, is the single chapter that speaks the most about this gift in all of the Bible. But even then, it's kind of vague on what it actually is. And even then, as it brings up this gift, it's bringing it up to say, this is a gift that, frankly, is not all that useful to the rest of the church. Because what's Paul's take on this spiritual gift of tongues? He says, very clearly, it's a nice gift to have, He says in verse 18 that it's one that even He has, but it's definitely not His priority. It shouldn't be our priority. Paul says, put this gift of tongues up next to the gift of prophecy, and it becomes real obvious, real fast about where the priority should lie. It becomes real obvious, real fast about which one is more useful. We've already spoken a little bit about prophecy and what it means in the New Testament in some of the last few weeks. Uh, This isn't kind of predicting stuff about the end of the world or whatever. Uh, Prophecy in the New Testament is taking God's truth as we know it and applying it to life here right now. You know, we're taking God's timeless truth and then saying to people today, here's how I think this works amongst us now and it's how I think it works. It is not being put on the same level as God's truth Uh, This passage makes it really clear in verse 29 that that prophecy needs to be weighed. It needs to be measured. You need to listen to prophecy, go, all right, I'm hearing you. That's one way it might apply. But does that actually match up with what we know God has said, with what we know is true about God? Uh, It's different to God's definite words to us. Prophecy should be questioned. But at the same time, prophecy is also really useful, really beneficial. Paul says, as he talks about prophecy here, prophecy can be a massive gift to a church, to have God's truth not just kind of left up there in the clouds and and being a little bit vague, but to make it concrete, to make it apply to us. That's what we're talking about here. And so Paul says, if you're looking for a useful gift to have, a useful gift that might benefit other people, then this is the one to have. Not, Not speaking in tongues, but speaking words of prophecy. The thing that sets them apart says Paul, is that only one of these helps others get to know Jesus better. Only one of these helps people to actually get to know Jesus better. The gift of tongues, says Paul, it connects that person to God. It expresses that person's relationship to God. Verse 2, he says, For if anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God, indeed no one understands them, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. That's tongues. Talking, no one gets what you're saying, but but it's you and God. The other gift that we're kind of contrasting with, though, prophecy, is totally different. Prophecy connects heaps of different people to God. It says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strength. Oh, one slide before, Becky. The, The one that prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, for their comfort. This fact alone means that prophecy is way more valuable, way more important, way more of a priority than speaking in tongues. It's the idea of us making sure that people are built up in their trust in Jesus, making them stronger and deeper in how they know Him. And you see it in verse 4. Verse 4, it says that tongues edifies yourself, it builds you up in your relationship with God. But prophecy, though, edifies the church. Prophecy builds up not just you, but all the other people who God has kind of put in your life. You're helping everyone, along with you, to get to know Jesus better and to trust Jesus more. And and this is the priority. Building people up is the priority. Church is not about showing off your spiritual maturity. Church is about showing people Jesus. And so, Paul's not down on tongues here. He can see, yeah, this, this could be something that could benefit someone's relationship with Jesus... You know, tongues are fine, but what's not fine is when tongues get dragged into a church service and get done in front of everybody, when everyone who's watching on is just kind of seeing Babel and they don't understand a word of it, they can't get any benefit from it. At that point, Paul says, whoa, 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 we've crossed the line here, because church is supposed to be about people getting built up in knowing Jesus, and tongues ain't doing that. He says, verse 26, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That's the big idea. And that means, verse 19, that in the church, he says, I'd rather speak just five intelligible words, five words people can understand, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Tongues might look impressive, but ultimately they only really help one person. And so, as Paul says, if you're going to insist on speaking these weird languages in church, then you've got to make sure that someone's there to actually interpret them and and tell me what they mean, at which point, you've just turned back into prophecy again, right? If you're going to pursue certain gifts, if you're going to prioritize certain gifts, if you're going to take all the different ways God has wired you and use some things for His glory, then Paul would say, make sure that you're using gifts That will help others to know Jesus. Those are the things that are worthy of your time. Those are the things that are worthy of your effort. He says, verse 12, since you are so eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And he even extends this out to people who are not actually in the church right now. Most of what Paul said so far, he's kind of talking about church members building up brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 23, though, he turns his attention to the times in church life when there are people there who don't yet trust Jesus. You know, he knows that in any church service, and I ask you right now, that's true as well, there are people who are watching who, you know, they aren't super sure about Jesus yet, they're kind of checking Him out, they're, they're thinking things through, they're weighing their options, if that's you, welcome, hope you're finding this helpful. Paul asks the question, when people like that are at church, what do we want to have happen to them? Well, it's the same thing that we want to have happen to everybody else. He says, Do things that will show them clearly who Jesus is. And the flip side as well, stop doing things that'll only confuse them. Verse 23, he says, If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Can be super confused. Not know what to make of Jesus. But, verse 24, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone's prophesying and they're convicted of sin, they're brought under judgment by all, the secrets of their heart are laid bare, they'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So, for us, it doesn't really matter who it is that we're finding in our community as a church, for every single person here, the priority is helping them get to know Jesus better. We need to ask question: is what I'm doing going to encourage someone? Is it going to strengthen someone? Is it going to comfort someone? If so, let's do it. Let's do more of that. But the flip side, is this thing that I'm contemplating doing at church, is it going to discourage them? Is it going to distract them? Is it going to just plain confuse them? Maybe that's something better left out of your serving. That's Paul's message to the church at Corinth, plain and simple. And I think it's Paul's message to a church like Central Villages as well. You know, Paul brings up the the church in Corinth and writes this letter to them, but it's here for our instruction. And there are some big truths that we can pull out of this passage for us today as to how we do church, how we do serving, how you do your serving. Here's big principle number one that I think we should really take to heart. It's that the priority is helping lost people get saved and saved people get strengthened. The priority is helping lost people get saved and saved people get strengthened. It comes out so strongly in this passage. As a church, you've got to to pick and choose what you focus your energy on. We choose this. This is what we want to have happen to people when they become part of our community. That they meet their Saviour and that they sink their roots down deeper into Him. That they find their joy in Him that they know Him more and more and know what He can do for them more and more and they can find their comfort in Him more and more. That's what we want for you and for your friends and for your kids. There are lots of things we can want for people, lots of good things, you know, we want people to feel happy, we want people to have fun, we want people to laugh, we want people to make friends. None of those things are wrong. But the priority, the thing we want above all else, the most important thing that, we've got to work on getting right, is this. It's really clear. Paul says, says, dial back the stuff that doesn't really build anybody up. And instead, ramp up the stuff that does build people up. Ramp up doing the things that are going to help people to get to know Jesus better. It's a bit of a kind of measure to judge what we do by, you know, before we make something part of our life as a church, before we add it into our gatherings, we have to ask the question, is this actually going to be good for us all? Is it going to be good for those who are following Jesus, as well as good for those who are kind of checking Him out? And let me be really specific, when I say, is it going to be good for us all, I mean, is it going to help us know Jesus? Is it going to strengthen us and encourage us and comfort us as we follow Jesus, We want to ask that question for Sundays but also for all of our groups, kids groups and Bible study groups and youth group. Run it through this filter. Is this thing going to help people meet their Saviour and find deeper hope in Him? If yes, let's do it. If no, let's ditch it. Priority is helping people get saved and helping saved people get strengthened. That's the priority here. Another principle that we should take out of this and and apply to our life now is, let's please not let church chaos or church weirdness disrupt this really important work. If you've got your Bible open there, you'll notice that kind of from, from verse 26 onwards, Paul takes these bigger principles and applies them directly, specifically to what's going on in Corinth and he's reflecting on them and he says, your church has turned into a chaotic mess. You know, people are speaking over the top of each other, and they're speaking out of turn when they shouldn't have, and they're going off and doing their own thing while they're at church. And he says, this just isn't right. This is actually destructive. This is undermining so much of the good gospel work that you're doing. He says, verse 39 and 40, absolutely make sure that there's words of prophecy being shared at church. And speaking in tongues, that's okay too. But make sure that as you do it, don't leave people out. Make sure that as you're doing all this stuff, people are actually coming with you, that they understand what you're doing, they understand what you're saying. He says, My brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. When people come into a church's community, they've got to know what's going on. They've got to be able to understand it, they've got to be able to follow along with it. If it's true that a church like ours is here to see lost people get saved and saved people get strengthened, if that's true, then we need to have the guts to leave out the stuff that is only going to confuse. Or to leave out the stuff that's going to benefit one or two people but not the rest of the body. Are people going to find church strange sometimes? Of course they're going to find church strange sometimes. Like, Like, we worship a man who was a carpenter who died on a cross and rose to life. That's weird. We trust our lives and our eternities to someone who lived 2,000 years ago who we've never personally met. That's weird. Let's be honest about that. But we want to make sure that the only thing that is weird and confronting when people turn up to central villages is that gospel message and not us being out of date in how we dress or out of date in how we talk or weirdly disorganized or weirdly chaotic. That would be a massive shame. Principle number two, don't let church chaos or church weirdness get in the way. Principle number three, last one, very personal at this point, is prioritize serving that will save and strengthen. You read through this passage and there's this kind of unashamed priority, isn't there? That doing stuff that shows people Jesus is the most important thing that a church or a Christian can be getting involved in. For you and I, if we have a choice in our serving, if we get to kind of pick or choose how we do it, this is the direction to send it in. Seeing people get saved, seeing people get strengthened. You might hear that and go, ah, simple, easy, you know, I, I teach scripture class, or I lead a Bible study group, or I, I meet up with someone and read the Bible with them, or I, I'm someone who, who talks to others on a Sunday and shares God's Word with them. You might go, ah, yeah, obvious, I, I'm using the gifts God has given me to serve and strengthen and, and save people. I suspect that there's a bunch of us listening to that and going, okay, sure, but I don't think that's actually how God has gifted me. Like, I'm not the kind of person who can talk to others in that way and, and find it compelling. I don't really have the confidence to put myself out there and try to to say things or try to teach classes. That's just not me. Maybe maybe that's what you're feeling. And, And I get that totally and completely. And I want to offer a few thoughts. The first is, please realize the gifts that God has given you are definitely not useless. And the way that we can make sure that they are the most useful is by pointing them in a direction that helps people be saved and strengthened. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that you may have been gifted in all sorts of different ways. We're a body with different diverse gifts. And one of the best things you can do is making sure that the gifts God has given you will be used to support those things that we as a church do that see people get saved and strengthened helping church run in a kind of general way, doing some of the the behind-the-scenes jobs, doing some of the support roles. Yes, you might not be the person who's kind of directly speaking God's words to someone, but you're supporting that taking place, and that is absolutely precious. You're making it easier for these ministries to happen. So important. We are a body deliberately. At the same time, I want to kind of put it out there and drop a little idea into your head, maybe you do have it in you to do more of this kind of saving and strengthening work than you kind of give yourself credit for. I I, I know nearly everybody who's watching this right now. I've spoken to all of you personally, you know me, I know you, and I see in nearly every single person at our church the ability to do this kind of work. Because it's not rocket science, this kind of work. Sharing what Jesus has been teaching you teaching a class and, and opening up a book and, and reading it to someone. Even giving a talk is not as hard as you think. I see these kinds of gifts and skills and abilities in all of us. God has wired us in this way. And maybe a kind of way to, to dip your toe in the water a little bit is just to start with yourself and one other person. You know, figure out for yourself, what encourages me to follow Jesus? And start doing that. Reading the Bible, reading a book, listening to some talks, catching up one-to-one with someone. Figure out what that is for you. What strengthens you to keep following Jesus? And then bring someone else along for the ride. Say, come do this with me. Because that's what it is. It's way more simple than you think, and you could probably do it. Maybe it's time for you to actually consider rediscovering your gifts. I think for, for so many of us, we, at some point in our in our adolescence or in our 20s, we, we get locked into, this is what my gifting is. I'm good at this, not good at that. And we start out on these paths, and maybe 5, 10, 20, 40 years later, we're still on those paths. Still doing only the things that we thought we were good at back then, and not the rest. Maybe this is a time where you can branch out a little bit, spread your wings a little bit, try something new that you might not have tried for years to see if maybe God has gifted you, maybe your gifting has changed over time as you've matured as a Christian. Maybe this is something that you could learn skills in, be, be upskilled in, be retrained in. If the desire is there, and I hope that the desire is there for each one of us to see people saved and strengthened, if the desire is there for you, then it's worth a shot to see if this could be a fit for you. This week coming, we're going to be sending out, in the post, because that's kind of fun, in the post, a a letter to everyone we know of who's a member of our church. Uh, And if we don't know who you are, because you're kind of watching anonymously, then now is the time to get in touch and say, hey, I'm here, and I'm a member, and and send me a letter, because we'd love to get to know you and say hi. Uh, But we want to send out this letter to everyone at our church, and it's about serving, uh, we've got a whole stack of information that Beth has compiled, awesome uh, that Beth has done that, about all the different serving roles that we see going on at church, a little bit of a blurb about what it takes and what it does. We want for you to read that through, to ponder it, to pray about it, and then to fill in the form and say, hey, this is what I'd be interested in trying, this is what I want to have a go at. I, I, I might not be perfect at it, I don't, don't necessarily lock me in for life, but, but I'm willing to give it a shot please take the time to do that, to to fill it in and send it back, because we're convinced that every single one of us at Central Villages has a role to play. God has a role in store for you that will make an honest difference, that will see people come to know the Lord Jesus. We want to help you discover what your role is, so that you can have the deep joy of being part of that work. As a church, we want to see lost people get saved and saved people get strengthened. And there is a role for you to play in us doing that together. I hope that you'll have the joy of finding what that role is. Let me lead us in prayer. Father God, what a joy and what a thrill to be used by you to see things happen that will have eternal significance. Thanks for giving us abilities and gifts and time and talents that we can use to see lost people get saved and and see saved people get strengthened. Thanks for the people who have used their gifts to benefit us, because we know that so many people have invested in each one of us to get us to the point where we're at today. Lord, help us to be really clear on what we're doing as a church, to not be confused to not do things that will be distracting from the gospel. Give us that clarity as a church, Lord, and give each one of us as individuals the joy of discovering what difference we can make. Help us find our part in the body. We pray that you would give us courage to try something new if that's what it takes. Lord, thanks that you use us. We pray that you would keep on taking us and using us every day of our life so that people would find joy in Jesus. Amen.